morning. We're uh, very thankful to have the Ramos family attending today and for our brother Abraham Ramos to be speaking and for his wife Jenica to be here as well with their children. Um, they have two children, ages three and seven months. Um, you may call them Abe and Jen as well. Um, so Abe is a student at the Master's Seminary in California. Um, he's two-thirds of the way through the program for the Master's of Divinity there um, and focusing on biblical languages. And he'll be returning, Lord willing, to the Philippines uh, where he's already had a lot of training there through their um, seminary extension that's out there. It's called the Expositors Academy, and it falls under the Master's Academy International. Um, the missions leadership team became aware of their ministry in the Philippines um, and uh, very excited because of the geographic location. Um, they're in a strategic place. They can reach out to South Asia and Eastern Asia, and they're already doing that. Uh, and they both strengthen individual believers in churches uh, with um, solid hermeneutical skills, and also uh, for pastors as well to enable them to exposit the word accurately more clearly. And we're thankful for the part that Brother Abraham is playing uh, there. He'll be returning to be on the faculty once he's completed his studies in California. Uh, and uh, look forward to seeing how we can also encourage that work that's going on in the Philippines. So Brother Abraham, would you come up? Good morning, everyone. I wanted to teach you the, how the Tagalog way of saying good morning, but it might take us a long time. So maybe after the service, I could, if you want to learn how to say it, um, I can do that. Um, but um, we, I bring forth greetings from my home church in the Philippines, Solidea Gloria Church in Davao City. Um, before preaching this today, I ask some of our uh, leaders in our home church to pray for me. Um, and I told a little bit of my experience here to them, and uh, I was just so grateful for the warm hospitality, the kindness. You know, it's amazing for someone who is an international um, that, you know, we, we haven't seen each, I don't know you guys, you don't know me, maybe you've seen me on the, on the bulletin or whatever, but to come here and to be welcomed warmly, um, I'm just humbled by uh, your goodness, your grace, and also your kindness. Of course, I'm, it points me to Christ, right? That's what unites us, that even though we have different backgrounds, even though we're saved from, you know, different uh, in environments and situations, and yet we are one in Christ. So my family, I extend our thanksgiving and praises to God for you guys. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, Philippines, as many of you know, is a very humid country. So when we came here a couple of days ago and the plane door opened, you know, we were embraced by this warm, humid Virginia heat. And the guy right next to me said, what is this heat? And I looked at my wife, ha, this is home. <laughs> uh, and, but I haven't been bitten by a mosquito for some reason, which kind of disappointed me. So maybe before I fly back to LA, I'll have some bites. I'll just tell them suffering for Jesus. So again, uh, I thank you for the partnership. I thank you for your prayers. I know some of the men here and the women have been praying for us, praying for me as well for my preaching this morning. Um, I just want to say also extend my thanks from the Masters Academy International 
and the faculty at the Expositors Academy in the Philippines. We thank you for your partnership. We thank you for your prayers, especially your prayers. We really, really need them, um, not just for us in the Philippines, but also the whole, um, all the training centers around the world. And speaking of prayers, today uh, marks our first um, day of a week-long event of prayer at TMAI, which we call Together We Pray. Um, I believe this church has already participated numerous times to this event, and it is basically an event when we uh, invite our partners, church partners, to pray with us. Uh, we have prayer booklets that um, summarize some of the prayers and prayer concerns from each and every region. And so this week is Together We Pray, and this church, along with 99 other churches, praise God, all over the United States, will be praying alongside you for our ministry. And as you think about prayer, as you think about praying for me, our team, our work, and our ministry, I would appeal and I would request and urgently plead before you to pray especially for a deep commitment to the Word of God, deep devotion for each and every one of us in the work to His Word. The Word of the Lord is our guide. It Pray that it will be our greatest delight in life, its fulfillment in our lives and the lives of others may bring us great joy and glory to God. So this morning, in light of praying and praying for a deeper commitment to the Word, I want to answer the question, how should we offer or how should we pray for a deeper commitment to God's Word? How should we pray? What kinds of prayers, what sorts of prayers should we pray so that we ourselves and the people that we pray for grow in, the, in their commitment and devotion to His Word? And so, turn with me to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. And in this text, we will be looking at three kinds of prayers that mark a Bible-centered believer. Three kinds of prayers that mark a Bible-centered believer. And I just realized this morning that, yes, this church is called Grace Bible Church. And so it's fitting having a, these prayers for a Bible-centered church, for Bible-centered believers. So most of you are familiar with Psalm 119. It is the longest psalm and longest chapter in the entire Bible. And the main theme of this psalm is the Word of God. The Word of God. And the psalm utilizes, in fact, eight synonyms, other terms for God's Word. The law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, and ordinances. Now, the author of Psalm 119 is unknown. Some have um, proposed David and other authors, um, but the psalm does not tell us who it is, so we'll call him by the name the psalmist. Now, in Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40, the main theme of this text is the believer's earnest prayer, his earnest prayer for the Word of God to govern his life, for the Word of God to govern and rule over his life, centrality of the Word in his life. And as we walk through verses 33 to 40, we will find nine Prayers, nine urgent requests and pleads, please, before the Lord in this psalm. And if you have highlighters or ball pens, 
Um, you can, like, I want to go through some of these prayers, these nine prayers from verses 33 to 40. So the first one we will find is in verse 33, teach me, O Lord. Verse 34, give me understanding. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments. Verse 36, incline my heart. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life. That's another prayer. Verse 38, confirm to your servant. Verse 39, turn away the reproach. And verse 40, give me life. So you notice this entire psalm is filled with prayers. You know what amazes me about this uh, Psalm 119 in general, as I've been reading this and meditating upon it, and even our text this morning, what amazes me is that the psalmist, when he wrote this psalm, he didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have the full revelation of God's Word, right? And yet, his attitude is, I love God's Word. I want His Word to govern my life. I delight in God's Word, as we'll be seeing later. I want God's Word to, to lead me. I want His Word to be central. I'm just convicted about it. Like I have the entire Bible with me. Many times I, I don't desire or I don't have this kind of passion for the Word of God. So this morning, again, I hope and pray that our hearts will be humble before Him, our hearts will receive His Word, and if there are areas in our life that need to change, need to repent, maybe we, may we be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in our hearts. May we not be rebellious or hard-hearted. May He change our hearts. So again, three, let us identify three kinds of prayers that mark or evidence a Bible-centered believer that should help deepen our commitment and devotion to the Word of God. And for many of you, you may be writing down notes. Uh, the, I have three points. That's what we learned in Preaching Lab, three points, <laughs> to keep it 45 minutes. Um, the first point is, the Bible-centered believer prays for spiritual direction from the Word of God. The Bible-centered believer prays for spiritual direction from the Word of God that is found in verses 33 to 35. Point number two, the Bible-centered believer prays for spiritual desires for the Word of God. Spiritual desires for the Word of God, verses 36 to 37. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to maintain the alliteration, but uh, it's there. The Bible-centered believer prays for divine confirmation. Divine confirmation of the Word of God, verses 38 to 40. So I hope you got that, spiritual direction, spiritual desires, and divine confirmation. So let's, uh, let us look at the first point. A Bible-centered believer prays for spiritual direction from the Word of God. Let's look at verse 33. Verse 33 says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. The stanza opens up with an urgent plea. An urgent plea for divine instruction. The psalmist says, teach me, O Lord. Please teach me, O Lord. This verb teach means to direct, to instruct. And it is connected to the Hebrew word where we find or where we, um, can, when we get the word Torah. And Torah carries the sense of instructing, 
directing. Think of directions, instructions. And so here, in humble dependence upon the Word of God, the psalmist views God, Yahweh, as his teacher, as the master teacher, not just in some areas of his life, but in all areas of his life. Now, God, his teacher, is the one who directs, the one who instructs, and the one who points him to the right way. And what way is he praying for? What way is he asking for God to teach him? It says, way of your statutes. This word way is literally a road, a street. And oftentimes in scriptures, the way, this word way is often used as a metaphor for life. So for example, when scriptures speak of the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous, it doesn't mean the way that makes one wicked or the way that makes one righteous, but it is talking about this is what a righteous man looks like or what a wicked man does, his character, his life. This is his way. So when the psalmist prays, Lord, teach me the way of your statutes, he's asking, Lord, instruct me. Instruct me with the way, with the life that is in line with your instructions, with a life that is characteristic of what your word says. The synonym for God's word, statutes. It, is, it comes from the root word that means something that is cut, something that is hewn, something that is engraved or inscribed. So you get the point. It's something that is permanent. Lord, your word is permanent. Your word is sure. Teach me. Teach me, O Lord. Why? Well, the next line says, and I will keep it to the end. Now, he doesn't say that, Lord, answer this, teach me, and then I will keep it. No, this phrase carries more of a purpose. This is my intention. This is what I want, Lord. This is my desire. My desire is to keep it to the end. This word keep can also be translated as guard, you can think of an you know you can you can think of a of a mother looking after his children and making sure they're doing their homework she's guarding them you're doing it properly you're finishing your homework you guard god's word you keep his word this is my desire this is what i want to do my purpose my reason now until when tomorrow this week while i'm healthy well the psalmist says i want to keep your word to the end. In other words, Lord, teach me because I want this to be the course of my entire life. To my very last breath, O oh God, I want to obey your word. And many people, what do they desire for the entire course of their life? A comfortable life, having everything all their ducks in a row set, what they want in life, what they want to accomplish, that's their goal. But the psalmist is different. Lord, I want every day, every hour, when I'm healthy, when I'm sick, even at my few moments in life, my desire, O oh Lord, is to keep your word. But not just 
knowledge, not just knowing God's instructions. The psalmist continues, he says in verse 34, Please give me understanding, or cause me, O Lord, to understand, that I may keep your law and observe it with all my heart. This word, cause me to understand, it carries this idea of purpose, this idea of discretion, discernment. It is knowing. It's more than knowing, actually. It's learning and understanding God's Word in order to apply God's Word. Right? Because sometimes we have a lot of knowledge, we know a lot of things, or we may, we may have gathered facts, but then you ask, did you understand it? No, I don't understand it. Or you may understand it, but you're not applying it. That's not what understanding means. Understanding here is knowing what God's Word says and applying it to your life. That's why he's saying, Lord, give me this understanding. Please, O Lord, I plead before you. And he recognizes that he cannot understand God's Word alone. He can't do it. He needs God's illumination needs God to work. That's why he's asking, Lord, cause me, you do it, Lord, to understand what your word says. And once more, the psalmist expresses his purpose, his desire for this prayer. He says, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Again, it tells you, one is it's not enough for him. He wants to keep on repeating it. Lord, I want to observe it. He uses a different synonym. I want to Keep it, observe it. And not just part of my life, just part of my inner being. No. What does the text say? With my whole heart. That is his intention. With my whole heart, I want to keep it to the end. With my whole heart, I want to obey every jot and tittle of your law, of your word. But not only that, not only does he see God as his teacher who teaches him and directs him to the right way, he also prays, Lord, lead me. 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Lead me, please, Lord, lead me in, your, in the path of your commandments. This verb lead carries the idea of treading, marching. And he's asking God, Lord, cause me to march, cause me to tread, cause me to walk. And have that, that idea of leadership. Lord, lead me where? Lead me in the path of your commandments. Now, this word path is another synonym for the word of way, which again is used as a metaphor for a life, for a pattern of behavior, course of life. And what is this path? The path of your commandments. It is a life characterized in line with God's commandments. And this word commandments, a synonym for God's word, the emphasis here is words or instructions given by someone who is in authority. Of course, because God is my leader. He says this. This is what he says. He is the one in authority over my life. And so, Lord... Direct me, please. Lord, teach me. Lord, give me understanding. 
Lord, lead me so that I will apply, so that I will live for you. I don't want to do it only a few times a day. I want it all the time. Now, you may ask, why? Why, psalmist? Why, why are you so, you know, why all these prayers? It took you three verses to get your point. What's your motivation? <laughs> well, the psalmist says, the text says, for I delight in it. Wow. That's the psalmist's delight. Gives him great pleasure. Following God is not a burdensome duty for the psalmist. Following God, learning about His Word, applying His Word in his life is his delight. He experiences genuine satisfaction in following God's Word, God's directions. That's why he prays for spiritual direction. Why? Because, Lord, this is, nothing else brings me joy and happiness. Nothing else brings me delight. Friends, this is a good time to pause, I believe. What are the things that give you satisfaction and joy? Is it following God? Is following God a burden to you? Obeying His Word, reading His Word, is it a chore? You're dragging your feet. Look at the psalmist. Lord, I want to be taught. I want to understand. I want to learn. I want to apply. I want you to lead me, Lord. What is the right thing to do here? What is the best decision? What is the right career path that will bring honor and glory to your name? Lord, that's what matters to me. At the same time, for us, as we come before the Word of God, when we read His Word, when we gather to hear the preaching of His Word Sunday after Sunday, when we study and prepare for our Bible studies in small groups, this text tells us that before we open our Bibles, we pray, right? Lord, you're my teacher. Teach me now. I will be reading your word. I'll be meditating on your word. Teach me, Lord. Give me understanding. But may it not just stop there. May it not just stop that, that I have something to share or something to preach. Lord, I want your word to penetrate my life. I want you to lead me, O oh Lord. Whether it's through your meditation of God's Word or through the preaching of God's Word by the faithful men, faithful expositors, that is our attitude. That is a psalm's attitude towards the Word of God. And he prays for that because he knows only God can do that in his life. Verses 33 to 35, praise for spiritual direction. Lord, direct me. Lord, lead me. I want my life to be in line with what your word says. I want to honor you, Lord. And this kind of life is my delight. This kind of life that brings glory to your name is my joy. So second point is, not only does a Bible-centered believer praise for spiritual direction, but he also prays for spiritual desires for the word. Spiritual desires. The psalm is not content with the external He's also taking seriously in consideration the internal. Notice verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies 
and not to selfish gain. Incline my heart, O Lord. Now remember in verse 34, the psalmist's desire, right, is to keep and observe God's law with his whole heart. That's his intention. That is his purpose. That's what he wants. Yet, the psalmist is aware of his sinful tendencies. That his heart is prone to wonder. That his heart is prone to incline away from God's testimonies. And he's honest about that. And that's why he prays, Lord, incline my heart. Sad story for King Solomon in 1 Kings 11 verses 1 to 4. The text says that Solomon's concubines and wives turned away his heart after idols or after gods. And so the narrator writes, Solomon was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Our psalmist does not want that. He wants to be wholly committed to God. His heart inclined his heart to God. And not, as he says here, but not, verse 36, not to selfish gain. What does selfish gain mean? Selfish gain simply means profit or material gain. However, in many instances in the Old Testament, it has been used negatively. It has been seen as something that is unjust or selfish or sinful gain. For example, Joseph's brothers found no gain or no profit in killing Joseph, Genesis 37, 26. Jethro counseled Moses to choose leaders, leaders who feared God, men of truth, and hate, the word that he uses here, hate gain or hate dishonest gain, Exodus 18, verse 20. Gain is also paralleled with bribery, Proverbs 15, verse 27. Proverbs 15, 27 says, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. In fact, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible uses the Greek word for greediness and covetousness to translate this word gain. And so, though this word is a neutral term, the psalmist understands that gain has the propensity to turn one's heart away from a life that is devoted to God. It turns away from the Word of God to worldliness. And as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, and many of you are familiar with this, you cannot serve God and wealth. And so the psalmist pleads before God, Lord, cause my heart, incline my heart away from the love of money, away from greed, from covetousness, and incline it to your testimonies, to your testimonies. This word means, it's something that, it comes from this word that characterizes or that, that testifies to the character and nature of God. Lord, what I long for is my heart to be inclined to who you are. As you said, as you says in your word. Now continuing, the psalmist not only prays for his heart to be inclined, but in verse 37, he also prays for his eyes. Verse 37, he says, Turn my eyes, cause my eyes, O Lord, to turn away from looking at worthless things. 
from looking at worthless things. In other words, he's saying here, Lord, I don't want my eyes to be attracted to, to delight in, to find pleasure in worthless things. Worthless things means something that is vain, something that is trivial, something that is of no value, something that is empty. And here in Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40, remember that the context here is what is the psalmist's goal and intention, his desire is to live a life honoring that honors and pleases God, to grow in his devotion to God, to have the Word of God govern his life, to lead him, to teach him, to give him understanding, to be wholly devoted to God. And so I believe that these worthless things that the psalmist is talking about are those things that are spiritually unprofitable. Those things that are worthless. Those things that are morally valueless. Now, there are things that obvious sins that we know are like, this will damage my faith. But there are also some things that you know, after some time, you can say, uh, you know, I wasted my time there. I wasn't really profitable. I could have done something that would be much better than this. Maybe that's that worthless thing. Maybe that's the screen time or, or an application or something. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. What are those things that distract me, that hinder me from, from growing, from loving? What are those things that, that are pulling me away? Right? Because his eyes are gazing, his eyes are looking at these things. But deep in his, his heart, no, 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 not that one. And so the psalmist says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Give me life in your ways. Lord, true life is found in Him alone. True pleasure, joy, happiness, fulfillment is found, as the psalmist says here, living in God's ways. Knowing His Word, understanding what He says, following it. This is fullness of life. Listen to what David says in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Catch this, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than, also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Put before me all the riches. The diamonds, the gemstones, the gold. And, and add to that all the delicious meals, everything in front of me. David says, oh, the word of God is far much better. It's incomparable. And that's what the psalmist says here. Lord, give me life. These worthless things, they're not life. This is what I pray for, O God. Verse 11 says, Moreover, by them, David says, 
is your servant warned in keeping them, there is great reward. Brothers and sisters, I encourage us this morning to examine our hearts, examine our desires, examine our eyes. Let's have our eyes checked by the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to search and reveal areas in our lives that are they're not in line with His Word or that are worthless things that are keeping us from what the psalmist says here, life. Let us not deprive ourselves from the treasures of the Word of God with the trinkets of this world. So the Bible-centered believer prays for spiritual direction. He prays for spiritual desires. And finally, point number three, the Bible-centered believer prays for divine confirmation of the Word of God. Divine confirmation of the Word of God. Verses 38 to 40. Let's look at verse 38. The psalmist says, Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. What is he praying for? He is praying for God and asking God, pleading before God, Lord, confirm, fulfill, accomplish what you have said in your word. Do it, O Lord. Now again, he's not challenging God. He's not testing God. He's in the posture of humility. He prays, again, humbly prays, Lord, do this. Confirm what you have said in your word. At the same time, he sees himself as a slave. That's why he says here, verse 38, confirm to your servant, much better translated slave. He sees himself as a slave and God is his master. And what is the goal? What is the intention? What is the point and point of this, of God fulfilling his word? Verse 38, that you may be feared. Divine confirmation inspires worship, leads to reverence. Lord, fulfill your word for your honor, for your glory. That is what I pray for. Now in verse 39, verse 39, it seems that there is a specific request that is related to God confirming and, and, and fulfilling his word. In verse 39, the psalmist says, Lord, please turn away Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Now, the psalmist uses this word reproach. It means disgrace. It means shame. Now, we might be thinking, well, he probably has this reproach or shame because he's, he was disobedient to God or he was unfaithful to God. That's why he's experiencing this shame of, of God's disfavor upon him. Well, that's not the case. Turn with me to verses 21 to 24. Just a few verses before um, verses 33. So 21, let's look at the situation. Let's look at the surrounding context or, or, or the situation of the psalmist. What does he say? Where is he at? Verses 21 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, Lord, you rebuke the insolent. These are the proud ones. You are rebuke the insolent, the accursed ones. And these are the ones who wander from your commandments. Now you see a contrast. Here's the psalmist who loves God's commandments, upholds God's commandments, and here are these, these enemies who are proud, who are cursed, and who wander away from God's commandments. And what does he pray for? He says, take away from me scorn. This word scorn is the same word for reproach. Take away from me scorn and contempt. And he says, why? 
for I have kept your testimonies. Then he adds, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. And so you see the picture here, he's surrounded by enemies. People are mocking him, taunting him, reviling him because of his faithfulness to the Lord. And so, as we go back to verse 39, the psalmist says, Lord, accomplish your word, fulfill your word, turn away, Lord, this, remove the reproach that I dread, that I greatly fear. And many of us can relate to this. Maybe you are persecuted in your work or in your family. I have a, uh, there's a Christian lady in our church, and time and time again, she asked for prayer because she was married to a, an unbelieving husband, and time and time again, he would ridicule her and mock her for her faithfulness to the Word of God. At times, she would, she would just cry and, and, and raise up her voice to the Lord out of despair just because of, you know, she's wearied down by the taunts of her husband. And then she told me in, in, in a remarkable fashion, she, she, in, in, she explained, you know, at those darkest moments, it was God's word that encouraged me, that strengthened my heart. I found hope in his word, just to trust in his word, that God is sovereign, God is in control. That God knows what He's doing. That God is good. And that He will vindicate me in His time, in His sovereign, in His sovereignty. And this is what the psalmist says, verse 39. Turn away the reproach that I dread, that I hope, I trust, I have confidence. Why? Because your rules, your rules, O Lord, they are good. God is good, and so are His rules. The synonym for God's word here is rules, and it can also be translated as judgments, just decisions. It comes from one who is righteous and sovereign and does what is right. One commentator rightly notes, and I quote, The psalmist is confident that the Lord will do what is just and good for him, and he places his fearful experience and his reputation into the Lord's hands. What a great comfort. Divine confirmation inspires reverence, produces worship, but at the same time brings relief to God's people. That's why the psalmist is praying here, Lord, bring relief. Fulfill your word, for your rules are good. And finally, divine confirmation not only brings reverence, relief, but also revival. Revives. It revives the psalmist. Look at verse 40. The psalmist says, Behold, I long for your precepts. I long, this is my desire, your precepts, O Lord. I long for them. Precepts is another synonym for the word of God. And this word means instructions procedures, step by step. It comes from the verb to appoint. And so, precepts is what God has appointed and charged and ordered man to do and obey. And again, this theme resurfaces again. This is what I long for. This is what I love, I want. 
And then in verse 40, the end of verse 40, he says, In your righteousness, give me life. In your righteousness, give me life. This is not the first time that the psalmist has prayed for revival. We've seen that in verse 37. Give me life in your ways. And once again, he says here, Lord, give me life. Revive me, O Lord, in your righteousness. He's now appealing and looking to the righteous character of God. But this is, not, this is more than an appeal to God's character and righteousness. This is a prayer of confident hope of God's righteous acts of deliverance. God's vindication, God's salvation, God's for their deliverance. For example, Psalm 5 verse 8, it says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Psalm 31, verse 1, the psalmist says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Psalm 143, verse 1 and verse 11, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, God's covenant faithfulness in fulfilling His word and what He has promised. Answer me in your righteousness. Verse 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And that's why this is tied to divine confirmation. The psalmist, remember his current situation? He's surrounded by the arrogant, the insolent. They ridicule him. They mock him. That's why he prays for God to confirm his word. He prays for God to remove his reproach. And he prays for God to give him life, to revive him. Because God is righteous and he only does what is right. And so he's confident that God, God answers his pleas and God fulfills his word. It brings him glory. God glory, not the psalmist. It produces fear. Worship, reverence, it brings him relief and also refreshes and revives him. And so, from this text, the, Bible, the prayers of the Bible-centered believer is not just praying for spiritual direction, spiritual desires, but also divine confirmation. Lord, I, le- I learned in the preaching today that it is your word that gives me life. Lord, revive me, O Lord. Lord, I learned that your word should direct the course of my life. That you should, your, my life should be in line with what your word says. Lord, let it be so. Fulfill it, Lord. Lord, your word says that your truth is that which sanctifies me. Lord, let it do its work. Lord, let your word teach me, reprove me, correct me, train me so that I may be complete and equipped in every good work. Lord, Lord, your word says not to be anxious. Your word says not to worry. Your word says that I should make my requests known to you with, with thanksgiving. And Lord, your word promises that the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm afraid. Lord, fulfill your word for your glory, for my relief, and for my revival. 
And so as we close, it's what we've seen this morning. How should we pray for a deeper commitment to the Word of God? We've seen three kinds of prayers from Psalm 119, to 40. The first one is that a Bible-centered believer prays for spiritual direction. He prays for spiritual desires and he prays for divine confirmation. I encourage us this week, if you have time, just pause, reflect upon what we've learned upon here. And I know there's so many applications. I only have 45 minutes, but you know, I know in your heart, you're like, oh, I want to think about this. I want to meditate upon this. I want to write something about this. I want to pray. I want to confess. Please do so. That's an application of what we've learned today. Take some time. You have a beautiful place here. It's just nice to go outside and meditate, you know, in, in the woods and just pray to God and Lord, teach me. Lord, change my heart. Lord, change my desires, my inclinations. Lord, Help me to trust in your word. Do that this week. And maybe some of you, like me, as we've been looking through this, as I've been studying this, are, are, are deeply convicted that, Lord, I, I, don't, I, I don't match the kind of level of passion that the, the psalmist has. You know, the, our God is gracious. Our God is forgiving. He's merciful. And come to him and confess our sins and, and repent. But you know, another thing that encouraged my heart about, about just thinking about these things is before we were born again, before we were saved, we didn't, we didn't love God's word, right? We didn't have any desire for God's word. I mean, talking about spiritual direction, was it Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. It's what I want, not what God's Word wants. Desires, ah, me, me, not God's desires. God's Word to be fulfilled, ah, I don't care, it's garbage. When God changed your heart and He regenerated your heart and He caused you to be born again, (laughs) every single believer in this room can testify, oh, brother, God's Word was so precious to me. I began to love God's Word. It's everything to me. And I think it's important to begin there, to start with the Gospel, to remind ourselves that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, to remind ourselves that before God, He accepts us not on the basis of our efforts, but on the finished work of Christ. Let that motivate us to obedience. Not license to sin, but obedience. And also encourage ourselves with the promise that God is the one who works in and through us for His good pleasure. What an encouragement. This is what He wants. Yes, we fail, but this is the goal. And He has given us all the resources we need to be able to fulfill this. And so, for us to grow deeper in our, in our devotion and commitment to God, let us pray these things for our life. Direct me, Lord, to teach me. Give me these desires and help me to trust in your word. Fulfill your word. May it bring you glory for your name's sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our hearts are humbled before you. We thank you, Lord, for 
your word, your gift to us. Thank you that you are our God. Thank you for your work in our lives, the transforming power of your word. And Lord, we confess many times we fail, many times we stumble and fall. But we praise you that we have our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we can come to and run to in times of need and ask for grace, ask for forgiveness. We can confess our sins to you and thank you, Lord, that we stand before you justified, declared righteous. And Lord, we thank you that your word promises that sanctification is not dependent upon us. You work in us, Lord, to produce the fruits. So help us, O oh Lord, as we have been meditating and contemplating upon your word. May we not depend upon our strength, but like the psalmist, Lord, please teach us, give us understanding, lead us, incline our hearts, turn our eyes away, give us life, confirm your word, remove our reproach, and Lord, revive us for your honor and glory to the praise of your Son's